I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. I know from my experience as a financial planner that we humans are often inhibited when it comes to talking about money. Many of us struggle to see that money is really just a means to an end and that the decisions we make around money can change not only our life, but the life of others as well. I'm going to be speaking with guests from a variety of backgrounds and asking them to share their personal story and the influence money has had along the way. I'm also going to be delving into some of those tricky money and life questions that I've seen my clients wrestle with over the years. My hope is that the shared experience of my guests will help you think maybe differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Welcome to episode seven of Money Expresso. Can we believe that we're halfway through the year already? As I'm recording this, England are about to play their final group match against the Czech Republic. So fingers crossed that they get beyond the group stages and congratulations for Wales for already doing that. Um, today's episode is, is, is a fascinating conversation with a young guy called William Adwesi. I recorded it about a month ago um, and it's packed full of inspiration and wisdom. Now, I think there's a danger that we podcasters talking superlatives about how much we've enjoyed this particular conversation or that particular conversation or guest but it's true for this one, if I'm honest. Um, we recorded the conversation, William was in Ghana, um, and so there's a couple of blips in the transmission, so bear with us on that. Um, but, but William talks about so many facets of his life that uh, are really inspiring. Um, one of the things we speak about is the power of role models in helping to change the direction of people's lives. And it reminded me of a film from the late 90s. I'm, I'm not sure whether you have seen it or not. It was called Nil by Mouth, and it stars the incredible Kathy Burke and Ray Winston. And it's set on a, a London council estate, and it tells a story of a family caught up in uh, alcohol, drugs, and violence. And I remember thinking at the time when I watched it, gosh, what chance do people have of getting out of that circular kind of world unless there is somebody there that is showing them a different horizon or a different way of being? And that's very much accords with some of the things that, that William talks about. He also talks about the power of using business for good and seeing money as a seed, not a fruit. Be sure to also listen out for his meeting with Prince Charles and Richard Branson. Fascinating little stories. Um, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. If you do enjoy it, if I could ask you to leave a review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to, I really appreciate it. It helps other people get to listen to the podcast. Anyway, without further ado, I'll leave you to listen. Thank you. William, very warm welcome today to Money Expresso. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's lovely to have you here. And um, just so the listeners know, um, I'm speaking to you today in Ghana, as I'm sitting here in a very chilly uh, UK. <laughs> so it doesn't seem fair. But um, <laughs> William, I'm wondering whether you would mind just kicking us off by just just telling me a little bit about your your journey to becoming the founder of this amazing watch brand, Vitae London, please. Yeah, of course. So. Uh, I, d I don't know how early to start. My, my journey's been super interesting. 
Um, so I grew up in South London, um, grew up in a council estate. Um, I was first born of seven children. My parents were both from Ghana and West Africa, so they moved to the UK a couple of years before I was born. Um, so yeah, growing up in South London was certainly an interesting experience, so to speak, yeah. um, back in the day. Um, and I guess in, in a bid for my dad to shield me from the lifestyle of a lot of the young people in the area at the time, he was just super heavy on me in terms of education and ensuring that I was at after school clubs most nights, um, getting tutored, etc. And then through his kind of determination and my reluctant hard work, um, <laughs> I ended up securing a place in a boarding school, in a prestigious boarding school in the Midlands. So my secondary school years were in the Midlands. And to me, that was a massive eye-opener because um, for the first time in my life, I was different. Um, so I grew up in an area where we predominantly all looked the same from the same socioeconomic background. But yeah, I was thrust into this boarding school on a scholarship where most people were wealthier than me. There were only a few uh, black people in the whole school. And for me, it was a super, yeah, as I said, super big eye-opener. And I think even from as young as a teenager, I knew one day I wanted to level out playing fields because of that experience. Um, I remember going to play a game of rugby and people from my school referred to the other school as council estate scum without mm -hmm. realizing I'd grown up on a council estate myself. Um, so I don't know, I think even from a young age, I had those frustrations within me um, and I, I always wanted to level out the playing field. Fast forward a few years, um, I ended up working in the city as a recruitment consultant. Before that, I had run a successful sports academy. Um, and yeah, while I was working as a recruiter, I was making really good money. And I got to the point where I realized that making money alone just wasn't satisfying me and I had to work for a, for a larger purpose. And Vitae was kind of birthed out of the amalgamation of, of those frustrations, the frustration of wanting to work for a larger purpose and also wanting to do something more creative with my time. I think I love that with Vitae, I can merge creativity and entrepreneurship and, and being business-minded because I, I love that I get to, to do both um, to the best of my ability as opposed to just focused on one. Um, so yeah, in, in 2016, I managed to go to my wife and convince her to allow me, me to quit my well-paid job and invest money we had saved up for a house into a business in an industry I had no experience in whatsoever. Um, and thankfully she said, <laughs> thankfully she said yes. Um, and Vitae was birthed in January, 2016. Um, so yeah, Vitae is Latin for life. So our whole mantra is to be the watch brand changing lives. So in essence, with each watch we sell, we help support a child for education across sub-Saharan Africa by either um, supplying them with a full set of school uniform or a solar lamp um, so that they can study safely in the evenings. Um, so yeah, that's, that's Vitae in a nutshell. Um, and it's been, it's been an incredible journey so far. It, it sounds it. I mean, I mean, you know, respect for your wife to uh, back <laughs> you with your your house deposit. I really admire her for that. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And why watches, William? What was the particular thing about watches for you? Yeah, I've always been passionate about them. Um, and I didn't even realise how passionate I was until my siblings started, like, recounting some stories recently about all these G-Shocks I used to collect oh, and yeah. Casios as a teenager 
and then that upgraded to a watch called Aquamaster, and then your Michael Kors fashion watches, your fossil watches. And I used to collect loads of them. And then I got to the point where I was like, all right, I need to go to the next level of watches, which are obviously the fine watches, the luxury watches. Yeah. And at this point, I was looking at these luxury watches that were minimum five to 10 grand. And then obviously they, they go sky high upwards from there. And I realized that there was just a bit of a gap in the market where I didn't feel there were enough people manufacturing the luxury style and feel of watches at an attainable price point. Mm. Um, so for me, I wanted to fill in the gap. I saw brands like Patek Philippe that I loved, like AP that I loved, but I didn't feel like there was an answer to them at a reasonable price point. Um, so yeah, I just merged my love for, for design, my love for, passion, um, for fashion, my love for watches with this kind of desire to give back. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was birthed out of that. So William, could I, before, I'd love to, to talk more about what's going on for you currently, but would you mind awfully, you, men, you mentioned you were brought up on a council estate in South London, the, the oldest of seven children, um, and with a father that was determined that you were gonna get a great education. What, what was your, what was money like in your family as, as, a, as a young boy? Do, mm. do you remember money being spoken about? Yeah, money was scarce, was scarce. It was tight. Um, because especially for me, so obviously I had a scholarship, I had a bursary, I had everything to go to this boarding school, but there were still some fees that my parents had to pay. So I, I constantly remembered hearing about obviously the tightness in managing seven children plus this child who's in a boarding school. Yeah. And then like, if I'm honest, I wouldn't even bother asking, after a while, I wouldn't even bother asking my family for money for the excursions and trips that others would go on during school because I didn't want to be a burden. And I knew that it would be hard to come by. And a lot of the times the answer would be no, not because they didn't want me to go on these trips, but yeah, because it, it money was tight. Uh, my dad's a pastor, so that's what he, he does full time. Mm -hmm. And my mom's um, a, nurse a nurse carer in, in an um, elderly people's home. So she's mm -hmm. been doing that for, for many years. Um, so yeah, money as a result, my, they didn't have a, a whole load of money. But they managed to stretch it and I'm yeah super proud that they've managed to raise us all with not a lot um, and now we can kind of take things to the next level. Yeah I can and in terms of you getting your scholarship to go to boarding school and you, you spoke um, about becoming aware of kind of inequality when you were in boarding school what was that like kind of when you went back to South London and you know um, your brothers and I don't know if there's brothers and sisters or just brothers um mm. and, and we know what was it like when you were then hanging out with your friends back home did did, did you feel different there as well yeah it's like it's, it's, it's gonna sound odd but it felt like nowhere was home mm. because I was too council estate black to fully fit in with the boarding school yeah. then I went home and I still had my cool friends and I've got a big family so there was no worries there, but yeah, I went home and I felt a little bit ostracized because I was the kid that went to boarding school. Yeah. So I was the kid that had left everyone and I've got yeah. to live this fancy life. So you kind of feel this, this kind of friction of two worlds. Mm. And it, it's funny because it's interesting. It's the same thing as being a black Brit. I yeah. come to, I'm in, in Britain. I'm not fully, uh, you never fully feel British because I'm not, 
a white Englishman, but then I come to Ghana and they would refer to me as an Englishman, even though it's, it's so it's like yeah. nowhere ever truly feels home. But I think there's power in it because it gives me unique insight into multiple worlds that not everyone would have. Mm. Um, so I guess I've even used that in my business to, to my power, um, being able to just see how other people see the world. I think you you raised such a good point there because, you know, you're a, a young black man in, I, I think you're about 30 and, you know, yeah. I'm a white woman in her 50s. Like, you know, blimey, you know, we're going to see the world really differently, aren't we? You know, even, if we, even if we try really, really hard. And, um, you know, I, I can see how that does give you a, a different eye. And mm. I like the way that you're saying you're using that to your power. You know, you, yeah. you're using that as your as part of your opportunity. I think is what you're you're saying, which, For sure. which is I really think, powerful. Yeah, I think I think there's so much power in people understanding that even in struggles, even in pain and negativity, there is often a, a like a unique opportunity and blessing. Um, so yeah, even in me feeling inadequate due to being thrust between those different worlds, when I actually took a step back and thought about the power that actually grants me and the insights I can turn what may be deemed as negative into a positive yeah. um so yeah mindset is everything um yeah so yeah um what was your first job William my first ever job was in a call center oh. um so I was I was determined never to take a penny from my dad as soon as I hit like 16 I don't know why I just had this in me that I yeah again I didn't want to be a burden so at 16, I got a job in a call center. Um, and that was my first kind of introduction to the world of sales. Um, and that was, yeah, that was, that was actually really, really good. Like I got to, I was making decent money for my age. Um, it was quite a flexible job. And yeah, I was just on the phone selling all day, every day. Um, and I preferred that to retail. Like I was never one that was going to be able to do retail. I couldn't stand up for long. I, could, yeah. I just couldn't do it. Um, so it was, yeah, it was the perfect job for me. It's, it, it, doing sales in that type of environment is really, mm. I mean, I remember my, well, I remember doing a number of sales jobs myself, but that thing where you've just got to keep picking up the phone to somebody, taking keep the rejection going. and keep going, going back. Yeah. <laughs> teaches you a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> It teaches you a lot. Like someone would say, oh, get a real job and hang up. <laughs> and you've got to smile and then take the next call. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it, makes you, it makes your skin a bit thicker. It teaches you so many techniques that can, you can use in other areas of life as well, mm. which is great. And with your first earnings, William, what did you, what, what did you do with the money? Do you remember? Are you a <laughs> spender or a saver? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a spender, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> so... I, I can't fully remember, but I know I would have splashed a lot of it. I got my, I bought my first car when I was like 18, yeah. a little Fiat Punto, which, which probably took more money in maintenance than it cost me to buy it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think I was just, I was trying to live a, a decent lifestyle for my age. So mm. yeah, I, I was spending a bit. Um, I was never want the one to really, really save at a young age, if I'm no, honest. No, no. Oh, well, so many of us don't. I don't blame you. And mm. in terms of your background, you, you you said like from when you were 16, you you made a promise to yourself. You didn't want to be a burden to your parents or expect your parents to do anything, you know, any, you know, help you anymore from a financial perspective. Do, do you carry money stories from your 
upbringing around you know things that you saw happen that kind of inform the way you are today yeah I mean there's there's a whole wealth of stories I think just I, I think the most eye-opening thing for me is the potential money can get so going to boarding school being in an environment where I'm seeing all these parents rocking in Range Rovers and and all these cars and I'm like oh wow like it's just it was such an eye-opener because I was never exposed to that before Mm. Um, and I think there's just so much power in exposure because now growing up I'm like all right there were human beings with the same 24 hours as me and they were able to acquire wealth to, to to get this and to get that um I also remember going to my best friend's house in boarding school and I'm used to being from this two-bed apartment flat with all nine of us rammed in we got a bigger house later on but growing up that was our reality then all of a sudden I'm going to my friend's mansion and it's like eight bedrooms and there's only three of them in the house and my mind is just like it's just a completely different world. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the key, the key word, I guess I want to hone in on is exposure. Like mm. being exposed to a different environment, a different world is the money story. I think that has really shaped who I am. Yeah. Um, and has really enabled me to think without limits and dream without limits because I've seen people with the limits taken off. It, 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 you make such a good point about giving people exposure and horizons things to to aim at I was interested uh, when I was doing some research on you to come across your um, King's Talk platform Um, Mm. and tell me a little bit about what you're you're doing with King's Talk yeah so King's Talk is specific is King's Talk is specifically actually aimed at black men Um, so it's that we're around the focus and empowerment of, of black men. Reason being is, as a people group, we're often left behind. And we're often not the first to receive opportunities and not the first to be enlightened. And I realized that that was the case for me. And I didn't want another generation to have to go through what I went through. So that was the purpose of, King's, of, of establishing King's Talk. And we've been able to bring in a lot of men from varying backgrounds, not always black men, but men that have really trailblazed it within their industry so that they can drop and give unique insights to other men coming up so that mm. they can maybe avoid some of the potholes or see the potential opportunities. And another key thing we like to, to tackle is just mental health. Yeah. Um, I think as black men, often we bottle up our emotions and it's probably an issue for men in general just that, yeah, we, we often bottle up our emotions and then to have that layered with the reality of being a black man in the West, mm-hmm. it, it can have negative effects on our mental health. So we just try to create an environment and forum where people can be completely honest, completely transparent in themselves um, and we can foster communication um, that creates healing, that enables people to, to realise that the issues that they're facing are potentially not unique. And once you realize that they're not so unique, you realize you can talk to other people about it and, and, and together we can, we can all be better. It's such an important conversation to be getting out there, isn't it? And there's, there's rightly, you know, so much in the media at the moment about um, empowering women and diversity and inclusion. And, you know, young black men, you know, you, 
it, it's a group that also need help and lifting up and and you know for you to be able to use the valuable experience that you had to help others I just think it's such a worthwhile worthwhile thing to do I, I heard you actually um interviewing George the poet um and I just yes, thought that was fascinating yes. you asked him about generational wealth and mm. um you, you know you, you well you what's what may I ask you what's generational wealth mean to you a great question I guess for me it's for me the ultimate expression of wealth is freedom I feel I believe that wealth creates an avenue of of freedom it allows you to do what you want to do with your time mm. and to me, generational wealth is being able to pass on levels of freedom to my children another level of freedom to my children that I potentially didn't have yeah. um, to the point where there would be enough wealth for not only my children but my children's children um, so to me, that is generational wealth. It's creating avenues to have enough wealth for the next generation to have an enhanced amount of freedom. Um, it's as simple as that. And that could be with owning X amount of properties so that the residual income from that means that they don't have to go and work that job they're not passionate about just to, um, just to make ends meet mm. um and again that's that's why I say it creates freedom because now my children will have the freedom to do the jobs they actually want to do or build the businesses or charities or futures that they want to build as opposed to having less freedom and having to do what they ultimately don't desire to do yeah it it, it makes such a difference doesn't it you um in 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 a lot of my reading around money uh, there's a there's a there's a there's a saying that people often equate net worth with self-worth and you spoke about when you were a recruitment consultant um before you set up Vitai London um, and you were starting to earn good money and you felt like you were identifying with your earnings mm. kind of how did that play out for you yeah I I kind of feel like um when you earn money, it can expose parts of you that you weren't even aware of. Um, and to me, that's what it did for me. So I'm in my early twenties, I'm earning good money. And then for instance, I would feel like a sense of racism from someone or a sense of negativity. And my instant thought was to think, oh, well, I earn more money than you anyway. So like, I don't know, it became kind of the defense mechanism mm. because I kind of started tying my worth to my wealth like I'm actually worth more now yeah um so it's actually been a journey of healing for me in that regard because I don't I don't believe your wealth should determine your worth um I, I kind of feel like there are certain people that will amass a lot of wealth that will build businesses but not everybody is called to do that so I think some people are called to actually just maintain and be very good stewards of the money that they do earn so whether you're, you're earning a salary, maybe your passion isn't to start a business. Your passion could be to steward that money really well and still be able to generate some generational wealth for the generation to come. Um, so yeah, for me, I think it's, it can get dangerous when you start attaching your worth to your wealth too much yeah. um, because you, you also, it gives you an inflated um, view of self you start thinking you're better than others due to something which is just used as a form of exchange. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that, that's something I, 
became well aware of within myself and something I know that I could easily fall down, fall down on. Um, so I'm, I'm hypersensitive around that. And I think it kind of pushes me to be more generous because if I'm able to more generously give money away and see the impact that has, it, I'm less likely to just hoard it for myself. You're right. It is that thing about with wealth, certain people feel the need to just accumulate. And, and I think mm. generosity has often little to do with an individual's wealth. It's, it's more of a mindset. You, you um, notice those things in yourself, you know, I'm, I'm guessing in your 20s, which is a very mature thing to, to have observed and to realise it wasn't what you wanted. But perhaps you can tell me a little bit more about the, um, the good works that Vitae London does with supporting um, school children in, in, in Africa. What, where did, you know, there are so many causes that a business could support, I suppose. What was your passion for school children in sub-Saharan Africa? Yeah, um, it stems back to my dad again. Mm. Um, so my dad was actually so my mum comes from a more wealthier background but my dad came from yeah he grew up in a village from a poorer background he was the first in my family line on on that line to learn to read and write um, and just seeing how like amazing my dad is and how that broke a cycle of poverty that was plaguing my family for generations yeah. It really just led me to see, like, I just wanted to do that for more people. I wanted, it was an uncle that kind of sponsored my dad and helped pay for his basics to go to school. So I guess I wanted to be that uncle for yeah. more young people across sub-Saharan Africa. And also, like, just from my research, sub-Saharan Africa is the one region where poverty has increased in the past 25 years. And that coincides with the fact that it has the lowest percentage of young people um, attaining primary school education. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a direct correlation between mm -hmm. education and, and outcome and, um, and wealth and the ability to generate wealth. So I just want more young people to be able to yeah, grab hold of the opportunities mm -hmm. education creates. Yeah, yeah, such a good cause. I find um, spend, people's individual spending choices quite, quite fascinating. And over my years as a, as a financial planner, I've um, watched my clients talk about money and things that they'll spend money on without, without question. And other areas where they, they feel like they begrudge every penny that they spend. How, how does that play <laughs> out for you? Are there certain things that you just love buying and you don't care about the cost and others that are more tricky? Yeah, it, it's tough for me. Um... I think I've got to a point where, especially because I travel so much that I've really started to understand the value of comfort. So like booking higher class on an, on an airplane or booking that slightly fancier hotel or um, we've, I've got to a point, so I, my personal car now is a Range Rover mm -hmm. and like I never dreamed of having the car growing up, but now that I've had it and that's my car here in Ghana, because I live between Ghana and London, I'm now going through the headache of, I actually have to get a really nice car in London now as well, because I'm used to this <laughs> lifestyle. And, it, and it's a bit, and I question myself on it because it is a bit frivolous. Um, it's not the, potentially not the best mindset to have, 
but yeah, I've, I've just got accustomed to a certain level of comfort now. Yeah. And it's, it's purely just comfort. And if I do anything less now, I'm, I'm happy at the time of spending. I'm like, yes, wise decision. But when I'm actually living it, I'm like, I should have just spent a bit more. I should have just, <laughs> I should have just, because I work, like I'm, I think I'm just better. I'm a better version of myself in an environment like that. Um, so I don't know if I've actually even answered the question well, but like comfort is something that I kind of, it is a bit begrudging, begrudging but I do freely spend in yeah. because it, I, I need it in order to kind of function now. And yeah. It's, yeah, it sounds a bit sad to say that. <laughs> well, it's very honest. No, and I, I understand. I understand why that why that would be the case. So, William, how how does you've grown not one successful business, but you've got a, a number of successful businesses. What what are you? What do you feel has been your secret to entrepreneurial success for you? How have you done that? Um, I think my biggest strength is just spotting opportunity um and having a mindset that says why not Mm. I I I think it's literally as simple as that I think there's so much opportunity around us and again as I said earlier it really does link to mindset um so for me a journey of self-discovery is a few years ago I found found out about my granddad on my mom's side so he was he had 24 children he had seven wives he, yeah, like, wow. <laughs> I could just see your eyes like, out, yeah. like whoa. Um, and my parents never told me many stories of him growing up for some reason. But then my youngest uncle, who's grown, who's now become like a mentor to me, he's only two years older than me. Mm-hmm. We're both born in the same month. We kind of look a bit similar. Um, I've had conversations with him where he's told me about the businesses my granddad ran, ran and the fact that, he sent he was able to send all his children abroad so all 20 pretty much all 23 of my mom's siblings are either in the US or UK and at the time I didn't really fathom the amount of wealth someone needed to be able to do all those things yeah and even being in Ghana now I hear stories about how he sold one building to the American embassy and how he did this and how he did that and I, I say all that to say hearing about my granddad and what he achieved just made me think that, wow, if my granddad who didn't have a phenomenal level of education was able to accomplish all of this Mm. and I bear the same kind of traits and genetics, how much more can I do? Mm. And once that mindset shift happened for me and I no longer saw myself as that black kid from the council estate in South London, I saw myself through the lens of what my granddad had accomplished and the fact that he actually became a chief in the area that he was from, it, it, it completely transformed my entrepreneurial drive Yeah, because it, it, it now became a given. Like I actually, I have to achieve more because it's already been done before. Um, so I think for me, another powerful tool I would encourage people to, to do and to have is to, look into your history, try and find out elements and traits of your history that align with who you are today. Like it, everything made sense when I, when I found out about my granddad, because I was like, ah, that's why I wasn't content in a nine to five job. Mm. That's why entrepreneurialism is what I've always been drawn to because it's my natural state. Um, so yeah, I would just encourage people 
to look into your history, look around you and just find examples that you can lean on that would just boost your confidence in, in, a, in reaching the next level. That's amazing. Your granddad sounds like quite a fella. <laughs> very, very interesting guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I found out on a, on a recent trip that my great granddad, even on my, my dad's side, so the poorest side, but there was, there was some wealth in some areas they hosted the Prince of Wales in my family home in like the 1950s. And it was, it was so weird hearing that because I came back to Ghana in 2018, specifically for a dinner with Prince Charles. So it was like this weird what? 360 moment yes. where this has happened before in our family history. This isn't the first time. So yeah, again, just yeah, hearing these things, just it just lets you know, all right, I'm actually on the right path. I'm doing what I was made to do. It does sound like destiny. And, and, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to ask you, what was it like to dine with Prince Charles? Yeah, that was, it was surreal. Um, <laughs> I, like, I remember I went to shake his hand and I don't know, you're meeting a royal. So I think you have a level of expectation. But, I, but then when I met him, I just instantly, it just felt like the, the dads from boarding school or just <laughs> the, the, like, he had a bit of a lad nature to him, which was like, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't <laughs> fathom like so um yeah that was amazing he's he's actually just a very nice guy like he's yeah. he's open to conversation he's open to to meeting people and and hearing about what people are building mm. so that was a really really nice thing to be able to do is to meet him yeah really cool and um I'm sorry I'm sounding a bit of a fangirl but what was it also like to meet Richard Branson <laughs> um again that was awesome um, I met him on a few occasions and for me the most the most amazing thing I get from meeting him is I just study him when I'm around him mm. and I'll be around him and he will perform a gesture I'll perform a gesture the next thing I know it's the front page on the virgin website like so when what I've noticed from him is he's always looking for press opportunities He's always looking for ways to generate more PR. He told me the story of when he first started Virgin and how he didn't have much money, um, Virgin Atlantic, sorry, and how he didn't have the money to compete against British Airways. So he set up one, one single billboard. He gathered all the press around him to that specific billboard, but he announced it as a national billboard campaign taking on British Airways. So all the press just lapped it up and and released all the, this media about Virgin's nationwide take on, on British Airways, but he only had one billboard. And <laughs> him telling me that story and seeing his eye for press whenever I'm around him has really helped improve my game in, in yeah. the press area. Yeah. So since then I've been featured in like Forbes, CNN, BBC multiple times. And, and I got all these features without press representative. Um, that's just through understanding how he's played the game yeah um, and maybe not having to be as dodgy as he had to be in that instance yeah, yeah. Um, but finding finding you finding unique ways to reach the press that we really want to target and and, and as you've you've said earlier as well it's just giving something to go isn't it really almost like what's the worst that can happen I love that it's, exactly it's, it's very what bold. can you lose what, what can, can you lose, lose? Um, a question I'd love to ask guests William, which is a little bit frivolous, but um, it amuses me. So um, I'm going to ask you, what have you spent 
say about £30 on in the last 12 months that bought, has bought you the greatest amount of pleasure? Ooh, I'd have to say a cheeky Chinese, if I'm honest. Oh! Because um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I've been out of the country in Ghana for so long and there's not as many like Chinese restaurants or cuisine. Yeah. So I was back in London for a bit last month um, celebrating my 31st birthday. And yeah, I bought Chinese for myself and the family and uh, it was just such a delightful treat. So nice. yeah, so you could, I'd definitely say a cheeky Chinese. Cheeky Chinese, good. I like that, I like that. <laughs> and in terms of you were speaking about you've discovered that comfort is important to you. What, what, what one thing would you like to own that you don't currently possess? Ooh. That's a great answer question. I'd probably say more properties okay. and properties in, in specific regions that I like. So there's a, the region in Ghana that my mum is from is called Ada, and there's like beautiful waterfront properties. My auntie actually owns one. So we, mm. we go like jet skiing from her property and then just cycle back to her house. So I think, yeah, being able to own some properties like that that I could enjoy as like a holiday home, but also yeah. generate some income for me would be probably the next thing, next thing I'm trying to acquire. So mm. yeah, that, that's what I want next. Oh, I love the sound of that waterfront property. I must admit on this cold, windy, gray uh, Dorset, <laughs> Dorset day. I'm um, so sorry, I'm so yeah, sorry. Yeah, thanks William. Um, we, we, um, I always love to leave our listeners with some, I, I always call them money pearls of wisdom. And um, I, I wonder, and there's something we can all find useful. Um, in your experience to date, and I know you've got a long journey ahead of you, but what would your William Money Pearl of Wisdom be that you would suggest that our listeners look out to do? It's as simple as this. Spend as much money as possible on things that generate money. Um, when, when money comes to me, I think as a youngster growing up, you want to buy this flashy thing, you want to buy that. But then the, the minute you spend on that thing, that money ends. That, the, that money just, it's, it's done, it's yeah. finished. But in, in recent years, I've realized that if I can spend money on things that generate money, that money is then it's a seed as opposed to just a fruit. It's something that can generate things for, for years to come. So now I struggle to spend money and splash on things that are never going to generate income. Mm. Obviously, it's a bit hypocritical of me because I've said I enjoy comfort. Um, and yeah, there's some things that will not generate me money. And, and I know that for like, there are yeah. some liabilities that I splash on. Yeah. But yeah, I try my best to, because even in Ghana, whenever I earn money, I'm looking at, so I've just acquired some more land. I just keep looking at ways, because in Ghana you can acquire land for very expensive, but you can also acquire some for, for very cheap. Mm. So I've acquired some cheaper plots of land as well as some more expensive so that in the future I can sell it for more um, or I can start doing projects on it that are generating income. Yeah. Um, so yeah, once you go into a mindset of income generation and looking for new pockets of residual income, you will start to see that your money will stretch longer. And also, once you have a vision for your money, it, you, you're less likely to spend on things that don't make sense because you know you have a determination for where this money needs to go. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah I, I think that is the one kind of gem I would I would drop is seek for ways to spend money in ways that generate it yeah so kind of investing for your future of you and your and your family 100%. yeah and are you gonna are you staying out in Ghana William is that is that home for the foreseeable future for you and your family yes I mean I'm, I'm going to spend some of summer over in London I think I, there will be a lot of back and forth but hmm. other, yeah we, we're we're building a house here in Ghana now hmm. which will complete in the next couple months so Ghana will be the permanent residence yeah but yeah even next week I'm spending three weeks in America like I'm I'm often traveling so yeah, yeah I'm a bit of a nomad who yeah. will, will have a permanent residency in Ghana yeah so what's next um William so uh, where where can we learn more about you and what's next for you and your your business for sure um to learn more about us um, our website is the easiest easiest way so that's vitelondon.com and vite spelled v for victor i for india t for tango a for alpha and e for echo so vite followed by london.com and that's the same for all our social media. It's literally Vite London. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you search that, you'll find us everywhere. Um, if you search my name, the same, you'll find me across all social media. So that's William Adoesi, A-D-O-A-S-I. Um, and in terms of what's next for Vite um, and what's next for myself, the vision is just to do what we're doing now on a larger scale. Um, the US market is a big is a big avenue for us to explore. And mm-hmm. um, we just signed a deal with Nordstrom a few months ago. So we're in 30 of their stores ar- across the US. We're in talks with Macy's and a few other retailers as well. Um, and as I said, I'm heading over there to do a bit of a media and press tour shortly. So for me, our, our next objective is to take what we're doing now, but on a much larger scale. I don't want to just be able to, to distribute school uniforms and to distribute solar lamps. I'm gonna to go to the level where we're actually building schools and we're removing as many barriers to education as humanly possible. Um, so that's the vision. Well, uh, w- William, I wish you all success with it. I have no doubt you're gonna achieve it. And I really appreciate you, you spending so the time talking to us today. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. There could have been so many things we could delve into, but uh, I'm conscious of your time. So William, thank you ever so much. It's been great. No worries. Thanks for having me. And thanks for, thanks for enlightening people around finance. I think it's such an important topic to touch on that isn't spoken enough in a candid way. So yeah, I'm super grateful for what you're doing as well. Thank you, William. I look forward to catching up in due course. Bye for now. So what an amazing conversation with William. I hope you did enjoy it as much as I did and that you are still uh, thinking about some of the pearls of wisdom that William has given us about his journey so far. I also just wanted to let you know about my uh, next Money Expresso podcast due out on the 12th of July uh, with a wonderful woman called Holly Mackay. Now, Holly describes herself as a hippie in a capitalist body on a mission to democratize finance. It's a great conversation. Holly tells a great story and I look forward to you joining us. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I'd really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes of your time to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast to subscribe, rate, and give a five-star review for Money Expresso. 
Apparently, this helps more people to find the podcast so we can help more people think differently about their money and their life. If you've got any thoughts, comments or questions on any of the matters discussed or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is to merely share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Thank you. Thank you.